friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dandino 6.7. That's good. I like that one. I've been building him in a computer for years, the perfectly designed co-host and fashionista scream composer 35 different personalities went into dandino 617 <laughs> yeah it was guy fietti <laughs> mario batali dom de why is it all fat italians my god i don't know i got on a train of thought and it just you know like when you google something it's like you might also like these things <laughs> yes i'm like an amazon julie andrew julie andrews was 35 though so i was i was rounding you out nicely <laughs> i appreciate that thank you <laughs> all right guys this is our uh theme for the month our experiment the pod fears the net um the wild dark mad max like times that were the end of the 90s where we didn't know jack shit about the internet but we were afraid of what it could mean uh for the real world we had things like y2k hanging over our heads we were very scared of technology and computers at this time um, again, this is another movie that takes the guise of virtual reality. Yeah. That I think is hinting at bigger societal constructs that are more reminiscent of the internet. This movie, though, Virtuosity, starring Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, actually takes a really fascinating inversion um, approach to this compared to all the other movies we looked at for this month. This is the first one that's saying virtual realities are too small and constraining and don't have the stakes um that would make it exciting or engage as engaging as our real world right which i think is really kind of a cool turnaround right because once we found out about virtual reality and these entire i mean now you could argue we spend an enormous amount of our lives and brain uh brain activity right as i obviously am showing i have none left (laughs) on being on our phone, social media, they talk about all these studies about how they're designed like slot machines to keep us coming back and checking and checking and checking. Right, right. Um, weaseling into our reality, right? They force their way in, and we're all giving up on that. Um, this is the first one that's like, nah, man, Facebook's lame. I want to come to the real world and murder. <laughs> yeah, like, this is like the ultimate, this is like a reverse internet trolling, I guess. Like, this is uh, the internet trolling us in real life. So yeah. to speak. What if the troll could come out, look really good, and then mass murder everyone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is exactly what we're looking at here. All right, Alex, I don't know when you last saw this joint. Hit me with your initial thoughts. Uh, there's a chance I never saw this movie. It's one of those really? things. It's one of those movies that came up on like HBO and streaming services a lot of the time, and you're just like, have I seen that? Because like, the 90s was where... like. Basically, Denzel Washington, to me, kind of owned the 90s. Like, a lot of that was him. But this is 95. So Denzel Washington is at probably getting to be, like, the fucking man. Like, I think he's already done Glory and all that other stuff. So he's, he's, uh, he's like, done Glory, a couple Spike Lee joints. Uh, I think he's been Malcolm X already. So this, this is, was his follow-up to Crimson Tide. That's Pelican what it was. Brief, Philadelphia, Malcolm X. Right. So, ricochet 
So he's already the man, by the way. Right. This point. So he's already the man. I, uh, this movie I thought was just like incredibly entertaining. Like, there's not a lot about this movie that I think, because the beginning uh, is, is really interesting. And it has a lot of that same sort of existence, weird, like, biotech kind of shit that comes up a couple of times. Like, I'll get into that because there's a couple of things. But I really enjoyed watching this in spite of the things that I think make it kind of a shitty movie. But it was really, inter- but it's entertaining what? nonetheless. Yes. Dude, I would rank this among the best movies we've covered on this show. This movie's in my holy trinity of Denzel, right? Which is probably different than everyone else's. But for me, it's this movie, Fallen, and uh, Ricochet form this fucking holy trinity of just amazingly awesome action Denzel movies that I fucking love. This movie is so fucking good. This is Russell Crowe. Um, to me, kind of his big coming out, right? Before he was This the is man. before he's Gladiator. This but- is five years before Maximus, right? Yeah. Um, and he's he's kind of playing this in shape, good looking John Goodman kind of role. I, I literally wrote down I wrote down in my notes, I'm like, man, remember when Russell Crowe was like thin and good looking? Like and we were all like, Look how charismatic that guy uh, is. Uh you mean yesterday? Shut up. <laughs> But, like, that's, like, the thing is he's, like, young and spry, and it's really fascinating because in this movie he also plays the bad guy, which is pretty cool. But, again, Russell Crowe is so fucking good in this movie. Yes, he's amazing. He's wonderful. Him and Denzel together in this movie. Like, I don't – okay, I I want you to start right now. This is defend yourself time. I'm putting you on the stand. I'm Atticus Fench, and you're the racist locals. (laughs) Reverse that, but sure, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> tell me why did you insinuate that this was kind of or partially a bad movie uh i can't I, think of anything that's wrong with this movie i find the third act kind of devolves into like really tro really boring action cliches for the 90s that's all how dare you Sorry. the only thing that i the only thing i thought about the third act like the chase and the towers i'm like why has no one given the order to not murder Denzel yet? He dodges about 3,000 bullets. <laughs> like, everyone, is, like, the audience is known for five to ten minutes that he's a good guy. And Russell Crowe's broadcasting to the whole world he's about to murder this child. Right. But they're all still like, hey, black former cop. Yeah, yeah. It's like trying to, I was like, is this the, an indictment of LAPD? What's going well, on? Well, there's, th- uh, there's another aspect to this movie that I was just kind of picking up on. I'm like, there is some subtle racism. Like, it starts off not so subtle, and then like it's like implanted in the back of your head, much like those. You weird think little so? Cubes. Okay, literally, the movie begins with them uh, chasing. Da- the movie starts with them chasing down Sid Six uh, Russell Crowe, who plays this character named Sid Six Point Seven in uh, virtual reality. Then he right. gets. Well, we kind of see it's this very uniformed, grayed out. Everyone's kind of right. dressed the same world. Yeah, like it's basically like and they're dressed like the Hamburglar meets Keystone Cops. <laughs> I mean, really, what it is is like it's like the set from Demolition Man, kind of, and like it was just uh, left over, so they kept it. But like, okay. to me, so it starts that way, and then it comes back to the real world, and you realize you you get basically you get Denzel Washington's backstory, which is that he was a cop and he killed a terrorist, and then uh, killed. He wow, killed you're a- skipping a ton of stuff right now. We're still in the digital world and think he's just a normal cop on a mission. Even though we know reality, I am going to skip a tab so we can get to the racist part because there is a lot of like subtle racism. Okay, because we get all the way back to the real world where he has to literally fight a guy 
with white power tattooed on his sh- on his arm because uh well prison racism that's just that's a thing but that's what i'm saying no hang on prison they- Prison operates like the high school in Heathers, except it's all based on race and ends in murders. Okay. Well, I guess Heathers does too. Well, regard. <laughs> look, we'll get we'll we'll, we'll rewind a little bit, but when we get to this scene, I need to talk about that prison in general because the way that it works is fascinating to me. The okay, that might be my only moment where I lost believability at everything that happened. Is I was like. How did these prisoners get so much reading material? <laughs> okay. And why were they so willing to rip it apart? All right. I guess we're just going to get into it. <laughs> Literally, it was what I wrote down. I'm like, why is everyone ripping apart books and throwing the paper around? Yeah. Every prisoner has a copy of War and Peace in their cell, and they're yeah. just making it rain literature. Yeah. It's literally like a ticker. T- <laughs> it's like a ticker tape parade for this like fight that's about to happen between Denzel Washington and White Power Bill, who like <laughs> shows up. <laughs> He's like, you got Donovan killed. And it's like, okay, well, let's get this out of the way now. But it's subtle. It's interesting because they plant in the background like like no Because the cops send him. He's supposed to go to his cell, but they open the wrong door to send him down to the white power, bro. Exactly. So it's one of those things where like it's there's like the subtle like you're supposed to notice that there's a little bit of racism going on here. But then I agree later on in the movie, like. All the cops, everybody is so fast to judge Denzel Washington's character for murder. Like, like oh, he killed a guy for sure. It's like, well, there's also yeah. this. No, he we'll, definitely we'll killed a guy. We'll get to his, his murder scene later. I'll ask you this. Can you name one prison movie where racism is not just a key component? That's or one prison I, movie. Did I say racism movie? One prison movie where racism is not just a cornerstone of that movie. Shawshank. Because even The Great Escape, uh, maybe not The Great Escape. Shawshank. Shawshank has a lot of racism in it. No, it doesn't. I feel like they're very racist prison guards in that movie. Really? Name me the racist yeah, incident. Right? In, let, let me Name me the racist incident in which uh, Morgan Freeman's character had to deal with being a black man in prison. Well, because he was old. He was the old guy with the soothing voice. He has, no one would beat him up. He has all white friends. Nobody gives a shit that he's a black guy. Like, it's a whole thing. Like, it's never addressed. In the Shawshank Redemption, there is not a single racist. There's like other than All right, other than I'm me, writing this down. This is Court Exhibit A. We're uh, gonna go to the notes after this. Other than maybe someone calling him a Negro at some point in the movie. There's, that's what you can't just ice over the N word. I didn't say the N. That's not what. Well, oh no, I didn't. Ah, mean, there you go. You proved my point. It was a time in society where it was so assumed that they were. To be treated racist that they don't even have to cover it. There no, you no. go. Boom. I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean the N-word. I literally meant the word Negro. That's I, a version of the N-word. That's an inappropriate slur towards a black man. That would be racism. I don't I don't even know what the... No, I really don't think there's... Uh, it's almost never so addressed you, in Shawshank. Shawshank has no racism. It is never hmm. addressed in the movie. I didn't okay. say it has no racism. I says it's not addressed as a plot in the movie. A great escape, yeah. It's a lot of that, like, oh, you American pig dog. They don't say pig dog. That's what I always say Germans say, but that's not right. All right. We're going to – boxers, hit me up. Prison movies that don't have racism is a key Wrong story element. pod. Alchemist, hit us up. <laughs> Whatever the fuck you are, listeners. God damn. <laughs> now my mind is racing. I can only think of, like, prison racism. Anyways, okay. let's go to the beginning so, of this movie. <laughs> let's cut back. So the movie starts, and we got the Keystone Hamburglar cops running through this digital, uh, very grayed-out world, right? They right. hit this Asian restaurant. 
And they're called, trying to catch Russell Crowe. He's just slurping down this sushi with this very funny digital sound effect. All of a sudden, he busts out and starts spraying bullets everywhere. We have a fight. Um, one the the white cop gets caught, and Denzel's still kind of hunting him. Right. This is this is where they set up kind of the entire theme of the movie. Is this where? Russell Crowe sets someone up in his jacket to look exactly like him, gets the drop on Denzel, but instead alerts him with the taunt and doesn't take the shot, right? Right. Denzel whips around, dodges some bullets, he gets wings, he sprays back, he hits Russell Crowe. We see that the white police officer's in an ice bin um, being electrocuted. Right. And Russell Crowe comes up and he gets Denzel by the throat. He's like, I could have killed you, but where's the fun in that, right? It's like it's a game to him now. Right. Um, this this is what's gonna happen a lot throughout the rest of the movie. This also has a funny part where uh the other officer asked Denzel, How will we know it's him? And Denzel says, Look at his eyes, he's got eyes like mine. And then they just start shooting when they only see a shadow and don't see his <laughs> eyes. <laughs> yes. So I don't I don't know what the fuck that meant. Denzel assumes that he's like this murderous computer program. Because that's what we learn, right? Denzel gets pulled out in the real world. Right. And this is a hilarious transition for me. Because now Russell Crowe's on this big screen behind us in the restaurant still. They pull him out. And this is where we decide, how do you most show that someone is an unsavory character? Uh, Dreadlock beards and tribal neck tattoos. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the one cop dies and Denzel lives. We find out that the sensitivity and safeguards were tampered with, right? Right. The and guy, a police officer actually dies. Right. The guy so basically got his brain fried. Yeah. Instead of a training exercise for police officers, which you assume it is, um, they want to make that, but they want to test it on convicts first. Right. To make sure it's safe. So Denzel and the other guy are actually convicts that they're just using as. Um, guinea pigs, right? They don't care if they die. Right. Shockingly, Denzel Washington was a cop in his former life before he was a cop. Right. And then so. he mentions that it was good to see William Forsyth, right? He's like, it was good to see you in a badge again. I fucking love William Forsyth in movies. He's aw- he's fucking great. He is in everything so good in. in everything. That guy is just one of the best actors. He is yeah. truly like the most underappreciated character actor in the business. I love I love him so much. Because he can, yeah, pl- he can play a cop also- and he does, yeah. I forgot about the other element they set up, right? The story element. So we're comparing Denzel to Russell Crowe. We're talking about how it becomes a game to Russell Crowe. And then this is the other part where he's like, you shot the chef. And he's like, the chef wasn't real, but I could die in the real world over there like that guy. Right. right. So we see right away that Denzel is willing to go out on the extreme a little bit. Because he gives us this weird bs about oh well when you guys were waiting to load up the program i was scouring the database and game rules <laughs> which i'm like i'm sure the convict had access to the computer that's why <laughs> that makes perfect sense because like i said there's nothing wrong with this movie <laughs> so we're setting up all of these kind of elements and this is something i actually want to address with this movie i think this movie sets up the second half game as good as any movie i've ever seen yeah no, I mean, it's the setup is where the movie like just executes everything they need to do to make you engaged in the movie, particularly like within the first movies, within the first like half hour of the movie, probably 40 half hour to 45 minutes of this movie. I was I'm like, I'm hooked. Like, there's no way I'm not. There's no way I'm like, See, I think it's 
I think it's even faster, right? Because the first scene sets up a lot of our big themes. And then we go right from there to Russell Crowe obviously has shown that he's cheating. So we show that he's evolving, setting that up. Uh, We just get this extra shot of, oh, Denzel has a fake robot limb. (laughs) Okay. Like, hmm, I yeah. wonder if that'll ever come this back. Is and it something does. That, this is something I also want to talk about. I wrote this down. I was like, wait, so this is a violent convict who's getting scanned back into prison. Like, <laughs> ah, yes, artificial metal limb. I'm sure that'll never cause a problem, ever. I'm like, what yeah, the well, fuck? Yeah, well, and then he immediately goes into a fight. Yeah, and he immediately goes Yeah, I was fight. imagining, like, uh, what is it? Jax from Mortal Kombat, yeah. that big colossus arm. <laughs> Instead, it looks more like a wussy Luke Skywalker transplant. But still, I was like, yeah, I think he should just be walking around with one arm. Yeah, I'm (laughs) pretty sure. Yeah, this guy is like physically imposing (laughs) enough where like, again, this this fight is this like corridor in the jail, though. I'm also like, is this is this a jail or is this like the set from Chicago where everyone's like standing behind the scrim like, like I'm like, what the fuck is going on in this jail? I like to imagine that all the convicts have a ton of reading time, and they've all become very sharp literary critics. <laughs> so they just start reading the classics, and they're like, Paradise Lost, nonsense, right. doesn't translate. I just, so they're actually just critiquing books at the same time everyone's a just, race fight is Everybody's just out. shredding their copies of Ulysses. It's Ulysses today, boys. Throw it. Throw it. <laughs> Does not work in today's world, am I right? <laughs> or they're all writing their theses and that's what they're throwing out. Like, Gets me another typewriter ribbon. It's <laughs> so So yeah, he goes directly into this battle with White That has that White great Power moment though. though where Denzel whoops that guy's ass yeah. and then he's just like, "Come get me. Come get me." Yeah. And then the oh, cops show so up and beat awesome. the hell out of him, which is super racist. Yeah. Even though he wasn't the one who started <laughs> the fight. All cop movies have racism. All cop movies have racism, or all prison movies have. Racism? I think all cops and prison movies, right? Not Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyways, so keep going. This is where, but no, okay. So just to kind of get through this first part, there are some really interesting moments. But this is what I mean: they do great scenes of setting up the game and how things work that are interesting and not just purely exposition. There's a lot of setting up that we have to do to explain why a hero cops in jail, why he'll be released, why Sid goes from computer program to someone who can murder in our real world. Right? Right. Right. So the first thing we do the first of these many scenes that I love is, Hey, can you get the Android guy in here? And uh, let's play that VR chick that he'll definitely want to fuck. Yeah, let's get that guy. Let's get that guy all sex nuts, and then we'll definitely figure this out. It's kind of creepy, not shaving very well, guys, watching his screen. And he's like, hey, I heard you're working on Androids. Maybe I could put some of my, uh, you know, my murderous programs in there. He's like, not a chance. And he's like, what about Veronica four-point blowjob? And he's like... (laughs) You're right. Brilliant. Let's do it. <laughs> We've also, by the way, completely glazed over the uh, little weasel guy in this movie because every tech movie has a weasel guy. Um, as we've as we figured out from Lawnmower Man, this one is the guy who created the VR system uh, named Lindelmeyer, and he's the one who like decides, oh, I'm gonna fucking set this up and I'm gonna put Sid in the real world because Sid is like tired of like taking over shit, and Sid's like, let me tell you how we're gonna do it. So then they call in my second favorite character actor of all time, Kevin J. O'Connor, who I fucking love in every movie he's in. 
This is a guy who's been in he's been in the mummy. If you remember in the mummy, he's he's Benny. Like he's also been like four or five different nationalities in movies. It's pretty amazing. But yeah. Right. Benny gets set up for being uh Benny gets set up as a patsy and they then they establish like the hook for how uh how how uh um Sid's going to survive in the real world, which is because. Yes, the, this is the snake, the android snake. Android I really like that. Yeah, it was really cool. So basically the idea is that they are made of silicone so they can absorb nanobots, na- silicone nanobot, nanobots so they can absorb glass, essentially, to yeah. reconstruct uh, body parts. Which, but I like the cut. I like the cutting the snake in half. It's just a visually it was, it was more vi- interesting visually it was way very to do cool. it. By the way, here's here's the thing though. We have to stop. We have to stop and acknowledge this. What is this fucking company that just exists in downtown Los Angeles? So you're telling me they're creating these perfect AI murder bots that can like (laughs) self-expand and learn, and they just happen to have a fucking nanobot android room right next door? I mean, this company would be running the entire world, right? Like Omnicorp in Detroit. All they do is make robot police officers that come back and kill their own executives. What's the com- like? This company the- would be worth all the money in the world. Yeah, and it's like super low key. Like this is again like this. This is the thing I didn't understand really about like the world of the movie we were <laughs> living in was we got to um, <laughs> we got to like the outside and it literally is just Los Angeles in 1995. Like there's no, cause I think the movie takes place in 1999. Is that what it's supposed to take place? Like in four years, we were going to figure out how to make, uh, in four years, we were going to figure out how to make androids, uh, nanobots VR and make it like a workable <laughs> VR. And, but like underground, otherwise we cannot change anything. Like that was the thing right. I did not. That's the thing that's really interesting about like future movies is they're never sure how to make the city look as opposed to like the interiors of places. Interiors are always very it's, very high tech. Yeah, it's, only the warehouse of the company looks very high tech. Everything else looks exactly the same. Yeah, like, even the nightclub they still have the huge fucking old style VHS cameras and shit. <laughs> But the nightclub had that Casio screen machine, which was pretty sweet. We'll get to that. That is like sure. that's that's special technology that's on that's right. on par with like that weird vagina from existence. Oh, uh, we actually forgot about one of the cooler moments too. This happens in the setting up the game, right? When we find out that Sidge cheated, he is now his own creation, which no one knows except for uh Daryl, the little weasel scientist. Right, guy. right. I love Sid's line when he sits there and he's like, in my world, God has no balls. And then he looks yeah. at Daryl and he goes, you're frightfully inadequate for a deity. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's such a good line. But, yeah, so he sneaks Russell Crowe into the Betty uh, four-point blowjob ball. And then they put it in the, the machine and it comes out in a giant egg, which I was like, where'd the yeah. fucking egg come from? What is this fucking They're nanobot goose. Yeah, I was like, Russell Crowe is very theatric. <laughs> He's very Lady Gaga in his presentation in this movie. Yeah, it was very much Lady Gaga at the Grammys in 2014. Like, I must yeah, arrive so- at an egg. <laughs> but then he goes from egg to, uh, he does this kind of uh, st- uh, Schwarzenegger and Terminator entrance, right? <laughs> right. And actually, the rest of the movie, he's essentially playing Terminator with kind of a, a murder kink. Like He's getting boners every time he kills people. Yeah, I sort of just... Uh, yeah, it was sort of like a gigolo thing going on. It was interesting. Yeah, and I love when he gets out of the egg, too. He just murders that guy nonchalant. He's like, oh, gravity. 
He's so fucking funny in this movie. Like, it's just, it's really fucking great work. So Daryl hits the lamb. So we've explained now how Russell Crowe's in our world and will survive all the beatings, right? Right, right. He can just eat glass and shit, and it's fine. Yeah, there's so a lot of great go, visual bits because of this. Yeah. It's fun. And then we go, because of the first scene, we learn that Russell Crowe's the game partner that he desires. Right. Now they're going to offer him a full pardon if he can capture Sid. Right? And I was like, that's just a fucking smart mechanism. Yeah. And it seems like one of those, like, oh, it's a little too cutesy, right? Like, they wouldn't do that. We find out later that they're going to put an implant chip in him that tracks him. It's also full of neural poison. Right. So that when they when they finish the job, they'll just kill him and have no witnesses. Right. I was like, this movie is really clever at establishing the rules and covering their bases. Yeah. The game, I thought it was very, very, very tight script work. The there. game setup is very tight. Like, there's nothing about the game that's not that there's nothing about the game that I think is one of those things. There's nothing that leaves anything to be desired for me. Like I understand it very simple. It's a, it's a cat and mouse game between the two of them, but then there's these alternate stakes. Like there's other stuff going on that makes you want to watch the movie and see how long it's going to last. Like that I think is the most valuable thing about movies like this is you have to, it can't just be one or the other. It has to be both because otherwise I don't give a shit if one of them wins at some point. Like, I have yeah. to know that there's going to be something else that's going to keep me involved. And that is, like, knowing that, oh, well, even if he fucking, you know, even if he win- even if Denzel wins, he also might get fucking jacked with neurotoxin and die anyways. Like, yeah. those are the kind of things he kind of has nothing to lose, which is what's interesting to me. Because when they bring him into yeah. that room, he's like, you guys got me out of bed for this. I'm like, damn, dude. Denzel. Well, even when the psychologist starts interviewing him, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like a. Well, we don't know. It can't happen again to you. And he's like, or what does she say, right? Like, we don't want to repeat yeah. this and that. And he goes, it can't happen to me again, right? right. Like, my family's my, dead. My mother, my, like, I'm at the bottom. Nothing worse can happen to me now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's cool. You know what I like, too? This is a Denzel thing that he did in this movie that I love. As soon as he accepts the mission and shaves his hair and his beard, he plays the character differently. Yeah. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like that. Because now all of a sudden he's back to the more traditional Denzel uh, that we know from the movies. Yeah. I, I thought that was cool. Like, you felt that shift in his character. Like, oh, now I'm back to, you know, fucking big dick in charge. I really like the dread and, dreads and beard Denzel, though. That was a really good look. I was hoping he was going to keep it for the movie. I actually, I like the prisoner Denzel, too. I thought that was cool. It was a pretty good look. I mean, he really looked awesome. Like I was like, if this is the look for the flick, that's pretty sweet. He looks awesome. Sweet. He beats up a white supremacist. When he's doing yeah. his like interview with the criminologist, you're like, damn, he's so fucking cool. Like, can I have a yeah. piece of paper? Like, he's just so suave. You're like, oh, I think I'm smitten with Denzel. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, get, I'm getting the vapors now with Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no way you're not hooked into Denzel. And then they fucking shave everything so they can implant some stupid nano so they can crack... So they can track him on, hang on, wait for the name, the crime tracker, of course. Yeah, but but that's the thing. It seems kind of silly, right? Because the thing they're covering there is how do we get the psychologist to stay with him? Right. Right. And they're like, oh, she's like, I'll help rein him in with the crime tracker and whatever. Because that's the part where you're like, what? Why do we need this lady along? That's kind of like one of those 90s things. You just have to have like a beautiful woman along. I was actually... Re- but I think it kind of works in the context of the movie. Although, granted, every action moment from then on, Denzel just leaves her behind in a car and runs away. Well, yeah. I don't know if you... I read some of this stuff and apparently Denzel rewrote... Denzel himself rewrote a lot of this on the fly. 
like a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the scenarios. Like apparently yeah. there's supposed to be some big romantic subplot between the two of them. And according to Kelly Lynch, who plays Dr. Carter, the woman in the movie, according to Kelly Lynch, she said that Denzel thought that the movie would not market well if there was a, an interracial relationship in the movie. Wow. And I'm See, like, that's, that's weird to me because on a story level, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Like, I, I thought that I was Denzel strange, too. I that kind of Manchester by the Sea character, right? Like, yeah. I feel like he'll never get over that. No. Right? Oh, like, no. he's going to have that kind of PTSD from that moment for his whole life. Yeah. So, like, a, a romance would have been really strange to me but because of the interracialness of it that's that's unusual. that's the thing that I, I and that's why i, I remember texting you because i was like did you read this and I, I i remember thinking about it i'm like there's no way denzel washington thought that like there's no way that denzel washington thought oh he man he might have he might have i don't know man like that's just the kind I think of thing we that's take kinda... we take for granted in today's world like how silly little concepts like that played back then i guess I mean, that's, that's the thing 1995 was what 30 years ago yeah it's 95 it's uh i mean what was going i mean yeah it's just one of those things like you think no about- 20 23 years ago 23. what did i say 30 23 years close ago. enough man i mean it's still a long time ago well yeah i mean, it's a weird thing but i mean Denzel seemed to do no wrong. So, I mean, I agree. he might have known what the fuck. It, I guess he kind of knew it was Whether like, his reasons were right or not, I think it fits the story really well. Oh, I agree. I, I think if there had been some sort of weird subplot, like, I liked the way. Well, it, no, you can tell it was in there, right? Because the little daughter just randomly walking out and asking him about baseball players. Yeah. I was like, mm, that's very kind of cutesy. But I like the way that panned out. Like, instead of it being like, oh, I'm like falling in love with this woman and their family again. Like instead it's like the mere, it's the cracked mirror version of his family. Like he's, yeah. he's going to do, he's going to do right by what happened when he did it, did it wrong. Like that's the kind of thing I like. And that's the kind of thing that yes. makes that character worth watching rather than just like, yeah. Oh great. This guy's gotten over his uh, dead wife. Cool. Awesome. Well, we're also that moment with the little girl and the left-handed first baseman discussion. Yeah. That's the first moment we, we see what was there for Denzel. Right. Right. Which I think is also important because we're kind of at that point we still don't know why he was in jail. We're just led to believe he kind of went cold blooded, like super cop to cold blooded killer. Right. We know his family died, but we don't know what he did. Right. So that scene's an important uh, kind of lubing the wheel because that's the thing. Everyone who watches this movie, Denzel is already established as this classic kind of action leading man. Right. But it's just nice that they build these things into me. Right. Right. Like, if you take Denzel out of the movie and you just have whoever the fuck would have been a straight-to-VHS guy, right? Like, if this was a Casper Van Dien joint, you have to put that shit in the script so that we, we know where to go, right? Right, that, right. The, the gravitas of Denzel is not just pulling us through shoddy work. Right. Well, so, conversely, Russell Crowe then shows up at a – is the first thing – yeah. He shows up first at a dance club, like a like a. Well, no, because first he shows up and he well, kills some random guys in an apartment. Well, if, well, and then he, we, we learn he's copycatting Marilyn Manson at a, another murder. Charles Manson. <laughs> what did I say? Marilyn. <laughs> same guy, same exact thing. Oh. <laughs> What's that song? Marilyn Manson will kick your ass in. No, just kidding. And no. then that guy, what is it? The new radicals bucket hat, and then he backed out of fist fighting Marilyn Manson. What What a puss. (laughs) I can't think of a least scary guy to fist fight than Marilyn Manson. So they catch. Except for the new radical guy. (laughs) 
so they catch uh they catch up with a crime scene like basically they go to this crime scene and it's the first time you see the glass getting uh, the heat there's like a little yeah hole of the glass like okay cool so he's getting it that's also how he breaks and enters yeah i like that so pretty cool first thing he does he uh mimics oh charles manson murder where he writes like death to pigs on the cabinets or whatever and then he goes to the dance club which is probably my favorite sequence in the movie because oh yeah for sure russell crowe that's the best part russell crowe gets to do what russell crowe does best and like this is something i wish people would kind of like perform music live (laughs) i wouldn't call that music no what he that's a shot at russell crowe's band google it What? Oh my God! Yeah. Oh yeah. That is it. Is his band? I totally forgot. Um. Yeah, he has a band in real life. <laughs> so Russell Crowe, though, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, this is five years before Gladiator, before he really hits. Like, Russell Crowe is an amazing actor, and the charisma he has in this role is so fantastic and so entertaining. There's no way you can like when he's ever he's on, when he's on the screen and you can't take his eyes off him. It's really hard to imagine that in a movie with Denzel Washington, but like Russell Crowe is fucking fantastic in this movie. But oh, parti- he eats every fucking scene he's in. But particularly this scene because yeah, like I agree, he like is a huge scenery chewer, and for some reason it works so well because this character is like comically awkward and really entertaining though. Like that's the thing I really, really enjoy about this movie, and particularly this scene in the dance club, because everything going on and everything about this movie is so '90s, and it's all funneled into this scene where he literally takes over a nightclub with a fucking, uh, what, tw- like twelve bullet gun? Like he literally, it literally takes. You don't know how many clips he's got. He's wearing kind of one of those baggy. Uh, he's got a. He's got. A, he's got a real sweet David Byrne jacket on. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Think big. You can have 50 clips in there. You don't know. But no, but I also like this is another thing. This movie has a shocking amount of just kind of like brushed over technologies. So Denzel just has a fully artificial arm that functions exactly like a normal human arm. Right. This bar has a robotic bartender. He's a little Chuck E. Cheese, you know, but still. That's a big deal. This bar has a robotic bartender and then like some Casio machine that literally you just rub orbs and nipples on it and you make music. It's just middies, dude. That's how kids make music. My neighbors who made the theme song for our podcast, that's how they fucking do it now. They just rub boobies and like rub. Yeah, they have like a little thing that looks like a fucking Simon Says from when we were kids. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? You remember? It's like red. Yellow, <laughs> yeah, like right. do the codes or whatever. So he, wow, I sound really old as fuck, don't I? But what's great is like, so he records all these people screaming, and it's great too because he, again, like he's just chewing the shit out of the scenery with this whole scene about orchestra and this kind of thing. He's like, I want to hear this section, and like makes all three of these women scream in unison. Yes, like instruments with. Oh like my god! I'm oh, like, fuck. this is fucking incredible like i can't believe this well, what's is great is the part right when now. he gets the three like women who go <laughs> yeah. and he has this face he makes but it's it's fucking gnarly because this is the thing what they're telling us is that all serial killers all 200 serial killers that are into his programming the main genre of choice is uh symphony and prog rock <laughs> but yes. what i like is this scene is but that, that i think you're right that's the thing it's a vile despicable act made enjoyable which is kind of cringy to an audience you're like oh man like i feel bad that i am enjoying watching this guy just fucking hold this room hostage but when he's playing it's it's just this very lively bombastic performance yeah 
It's, I mean, that's... I love what, when he unfurls the Scream Symphony. Oh, yeah, it's a fucking blast. Like, this whole sequence in general is just so much fun and so entertaining and engaging. So, but then, this is the thing that I love is, like, it. Uh, Denzel Washington shows up and just starts blowing him away. Like, just shooting him constantly. And you're just like... Do none of the none of the serial killer profiles knew how to duck, like because clearly he can take. Well, he the shot hit. him in the back. Well, Denzel's a smart cop. He came up the service elevator. Right? No, he He's shot too him, loud in there. He shot him in the back. But oh, then you mean afterwards? Like when you he, mean like after the first fifteen bullets, you should duck. Yeah, well, like after the first fifteen bullets, you maybe <laughs> should duck because while you might not die immediately, you could also still take the hit. Like, like there's. There's a certain amount of there's a finite amount of glass in the world, as far as I'm concerned. But oh man, I love when he's escaping in the cop just, car and he's just eating that handful of glass. Grabs a handful of glass. I'm like, God, uh, that that scene alone is what makes that whole like glass bit worth it. Is like that bit of him like grabbing the hunk of glass and chewing on. I'm like, that is fucking genius, man. That is just great stuff. I, but that's what I mean. This movie is so fucking. It's just rock solid on the fundamentals of storytelling. It's super fast paced. Like once we get to this part, right? So he's escaping. There's car crashes. Denzel does that awesome fucking shotgun drift. Oh, where he just yeah. shoot him like he's the liquidator. And then just just as like an extra flair, Den- Russell Crowe's got to jump off the bridge to escape. Right. But how does he do it? Handstand. <laughs> the least efficient way to escape. And I was like, fuck yeah. It's just constant visual flair. Right, right. And then they start, well, then they start going over, like, um, start going over, like, suits. Or, uh, not sorry. Uh, they start talking about, like, oh, they find, they find the, uh, is that after they find the computer where they show, like, all the. Um, they they had already found Daryl's computer where he had the profiles of all these serial killers right. and terrorists and, you find and out that dictators. One, find out one of the serial killer profiles is the one who killed Denzel Washington's family. Um, they had this great line, right? Where it's like, imagine putting, what is it? 200 cannibals in a nursery and them just starting and to the eat baby's just watching them fucking eat each other. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, that's fucking metal. <laughs> it's uh, cause that's what I was saying in this movie. It is strange to me because Russell Crowe doesn't play much like a serial killer. No, right. He just <sighs> something besides serial killer is coming to the fore. So I was glad when they added the extra characters in. I was trying. The trailer makes it sound exactly like he's a serial killer. I was trying to think about who exactly he reminds me of as far as like characters and movies go. Like, because there's a little bit of Hannibal Lecter almost. Like, there's this sort of like operatic thing going on. Like, it's not reserved like Hannibal Lecter, but there is this it's, sort of showmanship. I think it's Azazel from Fallen. They're very similar characters. Oh, that that's regard. good. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Azazel. These are very good companion piece movies for Denzel. Yeah. That they're part of the Trinity. Well, that's why they're there. <laughs> uh, so then we go. I, this has one of my favorite sequences, though, right? This is where they talk about now that he's in the real world. Because the suits are like, he shouldn't have been able to escape, whatever. Um now that they're in the real world, they're they're like Sid is free to evolve however he wants. I wrote that down. And there's this really scary, serious moment of uh But what can he evolve into? And then we just do a hard cut to the fucking BG strut and he's in the purple suit. Yeah. We hard cut to this purple suit and I'm like, apparently he evolves into a gigolo. Good for him. I mean that's that's great. That's yeah. what you should be evolving into. He just evolves into a fucking pimp. <laughs> 
Then he uh, throws a guy off a uh, balcony. That that might be one of my favorite bits in the movie, by the way, is him like fucking with a guy. He because he licked a woman. He literally licks this woman on the face. Oh wait, you're jumping to the UFC now. This is funny because the thing that this movie totally does not understand and is afraid of is the internet to me, right? Yeah. The other thing that this movie, the other new emerging thing that this movie is terribly afraid of and doesn't understand is the UFC. Because <laughs> this is the thing. They go to the arena, and this is a, a weird thing. They have the wrong Buffer brother, yeah. right? So this is Michael Buffer, the let's get ready to rumble brother. Yeah. Instead of, it's time! That's his brother. Those guys are brothers, right? Wow. The, the ring announcer, the octagon announcer. They have the wrong Buffer. And then in the octagon, there are just six guys. So there are three separate MMA matches happening at the same time. One of whom is Ken Shamrock, who is a... He's been in movies and pro wrestling before, but they don't give him any screen time, really. He's just there to get beat up a little bit. Right. But I was like, this movie is like, what's another future thing that'll be happening that we don't understand? Oh, yes. Giant mixed martial arts. And then if you cut through the crowd, it's just constantly fans fighting as well. As right. if three octagon bounce are enough. I mean, I've been to a UFC event and there's a shitload of fan fighting. Right. But I was like. The um, the the total lack of concept of what the UFC was in this movie is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge. Is is it an octagon? I, I it happened so fast, like I could not tell. That was just it, a, well, it's it's weird because it, it's a fenced in. I can't remember if it's an exactly an octagon, but the second thing they do is that there's like down by the octagon seats where you can stand on the cement. And then there's another double tall chain link fence that we see Denzel scaling. So they thought not only was the ring fenced in, but then the crowd was also <laughs> fenced off. <laughs> there are just cages on cages in UFC, apparently. Oh, my God. <laughs> it <sighs> It's just so. So he licks this woman. And then the guy who he's, she's with is like, hey, how could you? And he literally picks this man up and th like flings him down onto the cement, which like is so unceremonial too. Cause like it's, there's no, like everyone just goes, Oh, and then you hear the announcer go, Oh, there's been an accident. There's an accident in the audience. It's like, really? Well, this, yeah. This is a weirdly enormous set piece it's where huge. it feels like almost nothing happens. Nothing. Cause he throws the guy off. Right. But that could be, he's already killed so many people at this point. Yeah. The weirdest thing in this, besides the, the strange future version of MMA is that, a bunch of security guards run in and they're all armed with shotguns. <laughs> and I was like, have you ever been to a live sporting event? Could you imagine if all the security guys just had shotguns? <laughs> Make it a lot safer. Probably. I don't know. It, it, I, I mean, maybe like I just went to an IU Michigan college basketball game. The guy who was guarding the corner of the court that I was sitting by. Like if I tried to storm the court, the guy who was guarding that corner was old as fuck and had a Walker with tennis balls on it. <laughs> And I was like, that's the security guy. That's what happens at these live events, dude. We are not sitting there with 15 fucking shot. This is one of those that the owners of Staples Center are like, all right, if any of these cage walls break, we just got to cleanse these fucking vile creatures from the earth. <laughs> We're just going to turn them into fucking blood slash monster energy drink splatters all over the concrete. Right. So then he makes... Uh... So then he makes chase like they do another chase sequence, which was whatever, you know, it's this is the part you know, that this this is a this is the good. This is the brain teaser part, right? This mm. is where he shoots. Russell Crowe takes a human shield. Yeah. 
And Denzel's got his weapon drawn. Do you take that shot or not? Do you, Alex Dandino, point eight? <laughs> oh God, no! I don't have that kind of. I don't have that kind of aim. No, not a chance. This is my theory, and this has nothing to do with what's happening in the movie. I take that shot, and I'll kill that woman to shoot Sid and maybe kill him, because he's definitely going to kill her the moment she's out of sight. So I would take my shot. Okay. Well, you know. But everyone acts like he's the biggest. Mo- what we learn is that. When she gets blown away, we're led to believe that's Denzel. He's loaded into the car. Right. Russell Crowe's the one who shot her. Right. And this is a this starts this whole series of uh, the police have no crime scene investigators. I guess. Yeah. This is the thing that this is the thing that starts really <laughs> bugging me and irking me about this movie is it comes up like Kelly Kelly Lynch is the first one to say she goes, "Hey, did you see the wound? Like it's exposed. It, like uh, the exit wound is through her chest. So uh, Denzel couldn't have shot him." Couldn't have shot her. And I'm like, okay, well, well, why didn't the CSI guys pick that up? Like, how come no one is no, doing any sort of crime scene Forsyth even says, he's like, did you see it, though? And she's like, no. Right? Also, so Forsyth is injecting the plausible deniability. Right. Also, why are all the cops I mean, dressed- the armored truck is a little harder to explain, right? Like, how did he get out of the truck, murder the drivers, and let himself out of the truck? Like... I don't know. Maybe someone else did. <laughs> also, this is this. Also, the, there's another thing that comes up here. Uh, another weird fashion choice is this is that special time in the 90s where everyone thought in the future the LAPD would be like Janet Jackson backup dancers and all dressed like that. Right. Like, yes. Everybody's wearing just like tight leather jackets. And that's what they're doing. Like, I have no <laughs> idea why. It's never explained. It's just. Tight leather jackets, weird little that, jack boot hats. I honestly think, yeah, that would be a PR boon for <laughs> LAPD to embrace the rule. <laughs> okay, so this this is the next part we have to talk about. This is where we learn what happened to Denzel. Right. This is one of the strangest scenes in any movie I've ever watched. Right? So here, here's the setup. We have a terrorist who's in his lair. He's kidnapped Denzel's family and has them in a room with a bomb uh that's set to blow if he opens it he rushes in like a fool kills his family his arms blown up right simultaneously to this the terrorist with acknowledged enormous amounts of kills and carnage on his record is being interviewed by the news <laughs> yes in his lair and then she even asked him do you mind muttering your catchphrase which is taunting the police officer who's tracking him down. It it makes sense, right? Because they tell us that this terrorist goal was what? to just get all the airtime he could. But wait, wait, wait. It makes sense that he would want to be interviewed. Why in the fuck is that news crew there without being hostages? <laughs> I just don't. That's the one change you can make to that that makes it all make sense to me. Yeah, it's the only part of this movie that... Well, no, it's not the only part of the movie like that. But wait, like, you know what? Actually, maybe she's like one of those scuzzy reporters, right? Well, that's and she's just like I gotta get ahead. I gotta get on. Well, this that's kind of what my thought was. Is I'm like, are we trying to indict like hard copy and those like gossip news? Like basically the um, it was the if it bleeds, it leads people. Like if that's what she's doing, then right. conceivably that makes sense, I guess. Like you could fact. Well, here's my question, right? If she comes out of there with that interview, doesn't LAPD arrest her and be like, "Where the fuck is that guy?" 
Well, that's another problem too. Like, I think there's a lo- there's an enormous amount of like there's a huge logic leap that you have to take here, which is that a why would you go to the lair of a known domestic terrorist? B why is that domestic terrorist like why is that domestic terrorist giving an interview inside his like secret lair? Because I'm assuming the cops. Yeah. I'm assuming he doesn't want the cops to show up and see. Why, right. oh, why is the interview going on during a giant fucking LAPD raid? Like, there's just no... I don't think there's a raid. I don't think... It's only Denzel who's in there. I think he went in Lone Wolf. Oh, Denzel's a raid in and of himself. How dare you? Well, that I mean, he's a one-man raid. I'll give you that. But see, that part makes sense. He's gone off the rails now to save his family. Right. The strange thing to me... You could make it look like they were hostages and he's using them to get to the media. But when she asked him, hey, can you say your catchphrase for me? She's just like, oh, my editor is going to love that. Yeah. No, <laughs> that no. makes her complicit. I so agree. this is the because this is what a lot of the movie hinges on this. Denzel loses his family in a horrific explosion and his arm. Right. He goes he sees red. And just starts wasting terrorists. Somehow, igno- right? ha- somehow ignoring he the massive everyone. blood loss coming and, from his arm. Yeah. Well, no, he's just, he fucking is so fueled by rage and despair. And that's the thing. No one would ever convict a cop of wasting all these guys when they just blew up his wife and daughter. But what they get him on is that he killed this news crew. And to me, that news crew is fucking complicit. Yeah, I found the, I found, I, I found that aspect of it like i thought it would have been a much better like the injustice of the system because i thought originally the idea was that he killed the terrorist rather than like it's sort of like the same way like john spartan and demolition man gets sent to jail is like oh simon phoenix has killed all these people but like oh you you know accidentally killed like 15 people so you're gonna go to jail now too right you took the law into your own hands right so there's a problem i have with the logic line here which is so this guy killed a bunch of people and this guy's wife and daughter but because this guy like because this news crew was in the middle of a fucking forward area essentially and got mowed down by a guy who just lost his entire family he's like going to jail for by the way very specifically 17 years 17 years in prison like also i don't know how so like the on-air talent was like 12 of those and they're like and a cameraman will tack on five for a <laughs> I didn't understand. Whose life is worth what? I did not understand the now, No, it's like four for the cameraman and then one for every one of the 35 terrorists you probably killed. Yeah, I didn't. No. I just didn't it's, it's an odd choice to me because I, I feel like this movie is so fucking tight in the script. And they do such a good job of laying everything out and making it foolproof. Except for this beat to me is very awkward. Yeah, this beat, this awkward beat that literally the entire emotional core of Denzel Washington's character is hinged on. And then, but like, this is the thing is like, it doesn't ruin, I mean, it doesn't ruin the movie. You can still do the grieved cop who lost, I mean, whether absolutely. he goes to jail or not, he lost his wife and daughter to a murderer, right? It, you could do the same movie without the prison break it thing. It absolutely still works. There's nothing about the movie that I don't... There's nothing about that portion of the movie that I think doesn't work. The problem for right. me is that as soon as we learn this whole thing, and once that next... Once the final act of the movie is set in motion, I really have a problem. It, was, it just sort of glazed over for me. Like, I have no it's, idea it's, why. It's a strange misstep in such a fucking strong script i agree and it becomes this sort of really uh kind of hackneyed action movie 
Like, there's a lot of... But see, that's the thing. It's it's also kind of smart, right? Because you would think that this would get revealed to us the moment he's out of jail. I think by pushing it later in the movie, maybe they know that this is a bit of a tenuous uh, connection right. or reason to convict this guy. But by then, you're already so invested in Denzel's journey, it doesn't matter. We're on his emotional journey. Right. The legal shit, you know, doesn't matter that much by that point in the movie. So maybe it's just kind of one of those, like, this is a problem we can't fully solve, so we'll just bury it and hope that the rest of it is strong enough to glaze over. Right. Okay, well, I can buy that. Again, it's just one of those things where I I had been so engaged to that point, and I was so into it, and then as soon as I start asking the question about, wait, why is he in jail for 17 years for killing these two complicit reporters who are total assholes? Like right. these two, like TMZ, yeah. these two fucking TMZ Eddie Brock, like Eddie Brock and Venom motherfuckers. Like imagine, like, <laughs> like imagine mowing down one of those dickholes in Vice, who like he's like, oh, I'm meeting this domestic terrorist. Like you deserve it. Like you absolutely earned this. Like that's exactly what it is. It's like tough. Yeah, because I feel like you'd be like, well, they shouldn't have been there. They should not have been innocent. there. Well, are they even innocent? What the fuck? They're spreading this guy's propaganda. Well, that's the thing. They're like, fangirling over his catchphrase. Why? But my bigger, again, like, the biggest problem I have is, like, why, oh, why aren't the cops, like, going after this news organization and be like, you guys are getting shut down because you, like, knowingly did, you knowingly withheld the location of a domestic terrorist for your own yes. like for your own monetary and ratings game like that is that's a su- that's some kind of crime that's a serious but see crime. this is the thing while you're falling into the the legal fucking morass right this these fucking getting in the weeds with legal fucking wonkiness i'm still sitting there thinking of this high concept of denzel saying hey just because i'm carrying around the joy of murdering your family doesn't mean we can't be friends and his fucking just Oh, insanity yeah. that and that's what i mean that the big high concept sci-fi stuff is so overpowering and these two guys on screen i can overlook that moment because to me that's the biggest question mark of the movie but it doesn't matter because i want to see these two come to a head and then in a weirdly prophetic <laughs> fucking sci-fi prediction um the huge odd tv audience he's capturing is tuning in to see if America's going to shut its borders or not. <laughs> yeah, wow. I was like, wow, a little a little close to home. Yeah, right? Uh, Wasn't that one of those things where I was like, I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, God, how did we get to this? Oh, man, yeah. who predicted the future in this film? My God. I was like, can yeah, can I? I came here to escape my terrible fucking 2019 reality by watching a serial killer murder people, not by talking politics again. <laughs> but I, this is... This is also one of my favorite beats in the movie, which is so Russell Crowe takes over the broadcast room and this is how he's going to start somewhere in the span of time from when he freed Denzel and stole a truck and got a uniform. He went and had someone sew him a Sid 6.7 uh, worker patch <laughs> and created a death TV fucking graphic. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That did not go. I was like, that also. This guy is a hard worker. If nothing else. Also in 95, those graphics, not cheap. Not cheap at all. Not cheap. Yeah, where did he do that? Well, uh, maybe in his own brain. He's part six point seven. Really crushed it, man. No, nicely done. I thought that was funny, but I actually I like this ending, right? Because what you see is that the viewership just goes up insane, right? Which is an indictment on us that we all secretly want to see this a little bit, right? Right. And you've seen stuff like when we were younger, they had the uh, 
bum fights and faces of death DVDs that were going around. Totally. Just this kind of sick, disgusting shit. And I, I saw some of it. Because it's one of those, like, you'd have a buddy you got, and you're like, well, I can't not at least see what's happening. But then you feel like you need to shower for a week. <laughs> but it's true. It's it's this kind of sick nature of us, right? Yeah. And, and that's come true, too. Like, there's this whole fucking true crime porn industry. Oh, yeah. We fucking love watching murderers and people fucking break the social contract. Absolutely. Uh it's it's a cool it's a cool ending, man. I, I dig this part of the movie. And it actually has one of my favorite moments, which is when Daryl comes back and he's watching Sid on the TV and he's just beaming with pride, kind of looking around the crowd with a, yeah. a smile. Like a proud father watching his son make a basket. Right, right. It's fucking sickening. But it's it's small, but I think it's a really fucking uh powerful moment. It's good. And then we get to then we get to another chase. Uh, they're going up the. They're going up, and uh, basically, like uh, they find a way to cut the feed, and we get another chase between Denzel and a nice little like final showdown between him and uh, Russell Crowe, and then they fall down through like the glass. I fucking oh yeah, they do a diehard like crane swing. Yeah, it was like this crazy crane swing into this glass, and like, uh, I like, I basically it's all for this great like effect of like. Russell Crowe like trying to reconstitute himself and then uh and then he fu- It is odd it is odd that glass could be the murder weapon in a way. Well, I think that's on purpose. That's like some sort of that's some visual that's a visual cue. But it also is to leave us in suspense because uh one other thing that Russell Crowe reveals during his telecast is that he's taken Kelly Lynch's daughter hostage. Yeah. So he's got her in a bomb. So he dies he dies in the real world essentially because uh, Denzel pulls his like like memory cube out of the body he has yeah. for himself, and essentially they still need that information to save the kids. So oh okay, here's how I I can explain it. Right, the glass is the murder weapon. Yeah, he lets the glass that impaled him stay in his body because he's trying to pull Denzel face down on it and kill it. Right, right. Because I was like, why not just absorb that shit and get up and be the Terminator again. But that's not cinematic enough for no. Russell Crowe, the the Lady Gaga version of Sid that we're living with. <laughs> so now. they pull that cube yeah. out, and then they basically restart the scenario in the VR world. Well, because Daryl says, congratulations, you just killed her daughter. Right. And then, yeah, it does a very weird, like, right back up to the crane. I like. So I remember being like, wait, what, is, what the fuck is this? Right. <laughs> I liked that. It was cool. It's just fu- and again, it's like another nice sequence, and basically they duke it out. They try, they duke it out in the digital world. He essentially, you know, Denzel succeeds, finds a way to undo the bomb. Wait, time out. We're skipping over a huge character moment. That I, I'm going to ask you to discuss. What the fuck is happening with Daryl in this movie? So he births Russell Crowe, but he flees because he's afraid. He comes back when he's running Death TV because maybe he'll get some of that sweet royalty money. <laughs> But then when he puts Russell Crowe back in the box, right? There's nothing left. Like, it's over. He he can skate. Right. But then he, as they're pulling them out, right? Russell Crowe's like, you put me back in the box, Daryl. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. He he gets what's-her-name out first, which I don't. Why not? Why get anyone out? Yeah. Tell William Forsythe to go open the chair and then brain him. Because then he uses the chair to knock down the police officer Kills him with the lead kills pipe. Kills William Forsyth. And then it's it's like, what are you trying to accomplish, Daryl? 
Daryl Dunn lost his mind at this point. Daryl has this weird, like, he also spends the entire movie in, like, a shacked up in a motel, like, narrating to himself the whole time. Like every couple of every couple of scenes we have right we, he this whole you don't know what you're messing with all he's missing is like a kitty to be petting while he's talking to himself about like the the like <laughs> the marvels of Sid six point seven so yeah he's he's like a uh, a more proud version of Nicolas Cage from Leaving Las Vegas <laughs> so they get out of they get out of the uh, virtual reality world they but wait what what do you think is actually happening here why why Daryl going down this rabbit hole so much at this point you mean like why do i think he's on sid's side because do you think he's still on sid's side at the end he is in a way like what happens after i think he's, I, I guess this is the question is this is he so enamored with what he achieved that now russell crowe has become this kind of deity to him right this inversion or is he trying to put Russell Crowe back simply to regain some form of control. Uh, I think but I guess that doesn't make sense. I think it's the former for sure. Like it's one of those things where like you sort of you worship at the altar of the God you create, maybe some, something, something like that. Like I would say that's yeah. probably the succinct way to put it. Like the more complicated thing is you should be like, so in love with like what you've done, but you don't want anyone to destroy it. Like it's, there's been like, there's movies like, um, there's movies like I think of a movie. This is a weird example. You know how at the end of Spider-Man three, Topher Grace gets pulled out of Venom. <laughs> he gets pulled out of Venom, and then they throw like the pumpkin bomb into the Venom symbiote. Sorry, I want to yeah. symbiote. Um, symbiote. Sony, Sony, bro. And um, <laughs> he jumps back in because he's in love with the cre- he's in love with what he's created. He's in love with the thing that has made him special. Because well, he knows he's nothing without that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a lot to do with it. And then, of course, you know, he gets caught because he's a little Yeah, because it feels like Sid has kind of run his course, right? Like, he sees what Sid's achieved. I don't think Sid could have done more no. than what he was doing in the real I love that ending, too, where it's just, like, red faces of Russell Crowe, like, let me out, let me out. And then he just ejects oh, no. him. And then he goes, I want to play. I want to play. Dude, that was a fucking great way to end the Russell Crowe very uh, cool character beat. to me and fucking because he didn't just go out like with a gunshot or like a you know some kind of like easy way to just pancake him no no he goes out like a fucking badass he goes out like a badass he's still dangerous but he still gets totally pancaked because he is at the end of the day a computer program and literally Denzel just pulls the card out of the thing and goes whatever right well at the end he's thrown off a building yeah. and then you're like Saves oh part of it's alive oh tire smash yeah <laughs> Okay, that's exactly what I thought. Like the cube breaks, and I'm like, um, the actual thing that holds the memory. Oh, never mind. There yeah. goes the car. Okay, cool. Yeah, you're like some fucking '90s style hacker is gonna go plug that into their Dell. Do you? Th- <laughs> and it's all starting over again. Do you think it originally broke? Do you think it originally broke, and there was the, the like the little core was still left, and they had to reshoot that so the thing could. All right, we need something to drive over. Like, I love the idea that they had to do that. Are you asking me if I think they spent a million dollars on reshoots to run over that thing? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, man. I, I think uh, that was planned. I think that's very cinematic, right? Because we're led to believe that Sid and evil in general is this, this dark heart of man is this kind of ever-living, impossible-to-fully-destroy thing. And then they just squash it all the way. Because we're like, we live in a world with Denzel. He'll save us all. Right. There are a lot of fun beats in this oh, movie. I en- they also I do, they have a great 
they have a great comeback though of the robot arm they set up. He uses it to stop the fan yeah. blade that's stopping him from getting to the little girl. I thought that was awesome. It's a good callback. I'm like, look, look, this movie I, is not. I do like. I wish because they he only does it to then go down in there and be stuck underneath the blades. Yeah. And then we get uh, the Dennis Nedry Russell Crowe. I forgot he wasn't done yet. Ah 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 ah. Oh yeah. Ah 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 ah. Yeah. I also like that Denzel Washington somehow is just like, if I plug this fucking tube into this thing and this other thing, that'll solve it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, there's no delineation. There's no way he would know. Like nothing set up in the movie to allow us to know that he would know. Which is the thing that like. Again, it's part uh, of this. He read, he read the schematics when he was waiting for them stop, to load the stop program. Stop it right now. Of- it's true. And he probably read all of the reports on the bombing that murdered his. As we can tell, that prison gives you lots of reading material. <laughs> wow. He was just reading schematics. And then that's what he would throw out whenever a, rice, there's, a race riot. There's right <laughs> here. And there's the end of the movie. And the logic leap you just took was. I mean, Herculean. I have a lot of you. Just, you should be your brain should be in the Titan games with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That's how good <laughs> I'm not going to say uh, I think perfect. Flawlessly executed. <laughs> I uh, like a Tanya Harding 360 or whatever before she was a murderer. Perfectly landed. <laughs> I think that the look, I think virtuosity. Uh, and come on. But this is the other thing. Didn't your heart melt a little bit at the end when he saves the girl and he watches the mom and daughter have their embrace the moment he never got with his own family. And what I love is that they don't run to him. He has to stand back afar looking at, I just gave someone the thing that I couldn't have and will ruin my life forever. I don't think life is awesome for Denzel when this movie's over. Oh no. I think Denzel's life is terrible because he immediately gets out. And like, he's had no training to how to be in the real world in 1999. So what's he going to do? Oh, like Shawshank, he's just going to go to the grocery and hang himself. You think? No, I because think... Because everyone is real racist to him? No, I think... Actually, during the show, during one of your arguments, I actually Googled this thing. It's from a scholar. Oh, God. Let me see if I can find it. God damn it. Please stop this. I, I found a thing that I think will show that there is subtle, embedded visual racism in Shawshank Oh, my God. As you know, I will never let myself be wrong. I will find the wormhole and work around and break your soul until you just forfeit. Clearly you have, and you're not going to find it. I don't care what that I don't care what that thing says you're wrong. Whoa, do you think maybe they're treating him so nice as a way to kind of neg him racistly? Sure. He's like, you won't even acknowledge my blackness. You're taking it from me. Oh, my God. They're appropriating his blackness in that. Are movie. we talking about Shawshank Redemption or Virtuosity? both <laughs> the white man always be taken that's what i know look i think virtuosity is a really fun movie is good high concept sci-fi i also think that it has a really boring third act of action and it bothers me i there, there are some there's a lot of chase in this and that but to me i think it's super fucking fun and high octane the performances are incredible well the two male performances are great william forsyth's great too yeah um i I fucking I love the workman like setting up a very sturdy foundation um, for this kind of big concept. And it is like bringing a computer program into a corporeal form that can murder in our world. That's hard. And they like very workmanly uh, like processed Lee like what am I saying? They process that very well to where at the end they set up such a good base and the performances are so captivating 
that although the action's slightly mundane, it's still very fun for me. Like Russell Crowe impaled by glass trying to shove uh, Denzel's face through it. Like that was good. I don't know that I needed the little tag with the bomb and this and that. That felt a little um, add on to me, but it leads to that really cool moment. Yeah. Uh, that emotional beat for Denzel. So to me, it's just, it's such a fucking sturdy and solid sci-fi film. The weirdest thing to me in the movie is how they just completely gloss over these enormous technological achievements that feel like they would change the world so much more than they seemingly do. But that's fine. Cause it all just, yeah. works. it all just works into this streamlined, more interesting version of an action movie. Your dad would watch. Yes, absolutely. I think my dad has probably seen this movie and has enjoyed it deeply. That's who I watched it with. My dad saw it. He was like, Denzel Washington, for sure. Like, he just, everyone likes Denzel everything. He's great. Who doesn't? And this movie is no exception. Well, that's it, guys. That's virtuosity. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I think it's just such a fucking fun movie. Uh, share it with your friends, guys. And then when you do, share this show with them. That's how we're going to build our network and catch more alchemists, right? That's how we're going to, uh, that's how we'll create our own virtual audio lady that maybe you can have sex with, but really we'll turn serial killer on you. That got really long. That got really weird. Don't do that. If you find us on a directory where you can leave a rating and review, please do. It helps us so much. Share us on your socials, you hip young internet users. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Dandino 6.7's already researching his counter argument to our Shawshank debate. I am actually. It will probably rage on for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, hit us up, guys, with other examples of movies that are set in prisons that don't prominently feature racism. <laughs> I'm super excited for your interest. That'll be this. next month's very succinct theme. Movies that don't Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Movies with shockingly little racism. <laughs> That's it, guys. For the film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. We'll see you next time for Johnny Mnemonic. Peace, motherfuckers. Peace.